Yeah, and an interesting standpoint from alter perception, it's like when you're hungry and you're driving, you know, wherever you go, you start realizing all these fast food chains mm -hmm. and all this. It's like because the chemicals that are in your body are saying, I'm hungry, and all of a sudden your instinct is just creating it. So now your perception is altered. You might have been seeing different things on the road, and now your focus is Oh, I got to go. Hey. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day, now my fan they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome to another Cup of News episode with your hosts, Peter and Matt here. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you find value in this podcast, please give us a five stars, like, comment, share with your loved ones. This is how we grow and this is how we get motivated to keep on producing this high quality content. For any news and announcements and anything that we're up to, check out the cupofnurses.com website, cupofnurses.shop for any awesome dope nursing related merch definitely tune in for that get yourself a shirt i'm gonna get myself one of those sweaters on there and our sister company frontline warriors and frontlinewarriors.com make sure you tune in there to diving to material anything with consciousness anything spreading that and being more of a positive person and of course for travel nursing tune in for the vlogs bi-weekly and the facebook group uh, we're always engaging in there. We actually posted a selfie of us in scrubs. So go on that post. Make sure you share how you look in scrubs. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing good. A very interesting episode today. We're going to talk about the placebo and nocebo effect. I'm sure anybody has heard about the placebo effect either online or in school. So we're kind of going to dive in and try to explain it for you guys. It's the magic sugar pill that does wonders, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like a phenomenon that's not explained by science and you can't really call it medicine either because it's not anything medical it's just a phenomenon that happens to happen and we can't really figure out why it's happening and then nocebo is actually really interesting too because nocebo is kind of like the opposite effect where if you think you get gonna get certain adverse effects or symptoms those adverse effects occur it's even pretty scarier yeah this example is not a placebo effect but it's wild how things work for example when you have a patient and he needs his ambien before bed and this guy will not go to sleep before he gets it. So he'll stay up, stay up, stay up. And you, you take the pill, you know that it takes at least 30 minutes for the pill to actually start working. But in 10 minutes, this guy is knocked out and snoring. So you know he had like a little placebo effect just from simply taking the pill without even its effects kicking in. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with, with that one, it's more of like, I mean, everybody experiences like, a, if you give somebody medication, yeah, in the book it says like you're gonna have expected effects within 30 minutes. I mean, some people might get hit within 10 minutes, so that's not really technically a placebo effect. Placebo effect is if like you said you gave him Ambien, but you didn't give him any kind of Ambien. You gave right. him I know. like a Tylenol or something, you know. But, but that's even even like crazier because like it's it's not it's not explained. And to be honest, there's there's been times where I've been trying to get a hold of, hold of a physician in the hospital to increase like a Norco dose from like a five to a ten. Um, and I can't get a hold of the physician and, you know, I, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I told the patient, Hey, yeah, this is, this is a narco 10, but it was a five. 
And I, the five didn't work in the beginning of the shift. But when I told him toward in the mid shift that he's getting a 10 instead of a five, that that you could say fake 10 solved his ailment. So it, it has some like validity to it. And same with like um, like saline flushes. So there's this one lady that that was getting nauseous from from some medication. And same same issue. Uh, I couldn't get a hold of a physician to to give her anything to alleviate this this this, this nausea, you know. So I, I told her, hey, this is nausea medication, and I stored some saline into her vein, and her nausea went away. So like I could I could attest that the placebo effect. I don't do it all the time, but I could attest that the placebo does the placebo effect does work in certain cases. I'm not saying you should take this to your advantage, but sometimes you know you can get get away with this kind of stuff, especially those patients that are used to taking this medication over time. Or even new, so I guess it wouldn't even really matter how experienced they are with this medication because it's a placebo effect, right? But I always found it interesting, like how how that works because you're not given any kind of medication and yet your brain and your body is experiencing these these effects. Yeah, somehow it's a desired outcome without changing anything from a pharmaceutical level or altering your state of consciousness, right? So it's right. interesting to say we can't measure this, but somehow thoughts are creating the future of this person's reality. Mm. And, you know, how does this happen? We don't know. It's not measured by science, but there's definitely uh, possible explanations for the placebo effect. Yeah. Like, this is crazy because Matt and I, and even on our website, wearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewearewear
uh, just like there's a cold and flu, they resolve by themselves at the end of the day. Even in the hospital, we don't treat the virus necessarily. We treat the symptoms of the flu and we help the patient kind of get through it, whether it's uh, pain management, fever management, or uh, giving even Tamiflu. I don't think it's even evidence-based for the most part when we hear about it. It's just something that's a standard that's given. Yeah, and you could kind of tell that this is like a self-limiting thing because look at all the remedies we have for cold and flu. We have chicken soup. We have like different kinds of polish soup. Your mom gives you like these random drinks to, 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 to drink that, you know, has some spices or like the the pepper shot. And it just, just shows you that that those could probably be all placebos because no matter what, if you're if you have a decent immune system and decently healthy, you're going to get past the flu and cold even if you don't take anything. It just kind of makes you feel better that you're taking something. So, so the premise is that, hey, I'm taking this thing that should help me fight the cold and the flu, but there's really no factual evidence that it does. It's just making you think that, that it's helping. Yes. You know, so that goes back to like your thought process in your brain. That's one. So you know how like people are huge into crystals and they carry it. And I do believe the, the theory or the explanation that crystals store energy. But also, it's also self-limiting because if you feel like you always need this stone, this crystal to be a more positive person or learning to be more loving or not be anxious, whatever the case might be that you tell your story about the crystal, now you're kind of holding yourself just to that. And, and now, if you don't have the crystal around you, who knows if the crystal is actually working or having its effect, but you knowing you don't have it, then you start having the nocebo effect, right? That things are going to happen, like, let's just say, now I'm not going to love myself as much or whatever it is because I don't have that crystal around mm -hmm. me. So it's crazy how that works. And I feel the same way about astrology. You know, like some people are like, oh my God, it's the moon and I feel all this stuff, but you, but you don't. But it's the thoughts that you kept telling yourself that you believe this so much as if it's almost like a religion or a fate mm -hmm. where you believe it's these things are happening because of this. Yeah, with like horoscopes, and you know how people say like, oh, I, I know you because you're a Sag, or I know you because you're like like a Libra, or you're the way, you're this way, that way. I think because we all come from one, so I feel like as humans, we're all connected on some kind of level. That's why we're able to relate on certain aspects. And, you know, you can say some of these horoscopes are, are, are so I like to say these horoscopes are right because, you know, I can see that in a, in a person, or I could read a person that way. Like, yeah, I mean, you could read a person, but that's not necessarily because of the horoscope, it's because we're all humans. So we're all connected on some kind of a level, right? So we have some kind of a connection with each other because we're all we're all in sync, like bees. Like somehow bees know, know what to do. And let's say a newbie joins a new, a, another beehive and I don't like knows what to do because it's a bee. Same with humans. Like we're able to connect on certain levels because we're all humans. So we're able to relate to each other on certain, certain fundamentals, you could say. And the rest is kind of based on experience because if yes. you experience something in a similar way as somebody else, you're going to be able to relate on that level. But even if you don't experience the same experiences, you're always going to have something in common and some kind of understanding is because we're all humans. Yep. So that's kind of like my explanation for like horoscopes, why, why they're, you know, a lot of people say they're, they're right. Well, yeah, they're, they're right in a lot of cases because we're all humans and we relate on being human. So we can kind of gauge ourselves. We can gauge somebody based on ourselves, you know? 100%. And also it's like, it starts creating like predictive programming almost. Yeah. Like it's a trap. It, it is a trap. And then also you self-identify. Mm. And I believe, and we're not shaming horoscopes. I know there's a lot of female listeners out there. So we read them sometimes. We read them too. We kind of, you know, take it into effect and all that. So 
no shaming here, but mm -hmm. if you think about it, if you believe you're a Sag or whatever you said, or a Cancer, and you believe you're always an emotional being, then that's almost like your own little self-imprisonment and you can't get out of it because you tell yourself, this is the way that I am. And that goes back into the whole, you know, Dr. Joe and everything about thoughts and placebo. You know, you, you think and you feel, but because this is a predictable programming, now you feel and you think and your uh, subconscious, which is the body, is telling you specific thoughts and they're not really who you are. Yeah, exactly. All right, so back to possible placebo explanations. This one ties into the first one. This is with uh, re-emission disorder. So like RA, lupus, diseases and genetic issues that reoccur and then disappear. So with, with these like RA, RA is going to reoccur no matter what, right? You could say the goal with treatment with like RA is to prolong their remission as long as possible right you want to be symptom free for as long as possible but you know no matter what medication you take you're going to eventually get rheumatoid arthritis pains no matter what so that's kind of another, another explanation of the placebo yeah another one is a change in a person's behavior so the patient may improve by changing their exercise changing their diet uh, and not necessarily based on a medication but just a placebo that they were giving so the prescribed treatment is working and it's not necessarily the medication but it's more the regimen the action the habits that they're forming that's creating change in the person's life that could explain the placebo that's happening we're 100 like a physician gives you like a weight loss pill because you know you're really overweight and doctor's like hey you have to exercise and eat right but i'm also going to give you this 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 pill and then this person loses, loses a bunch of weight and he tells it to another one of his obese friends, hey, take this medication. You know, I did exercise and I ate well. I took this medication and I dropped so much weight. So that's another placebo. It's not really the medication really effective. It's, it's your lifestyle changes, you know? Yeah. And there was a couple of people shaming like intermittent fasting. And I, was, I disagree with them, but they say, yeah, of course, intermittent fasting works. And they're saying there's not necessarily all these health benefits but you're just restricting your calorie window, therefore you're losing weight. Yeah, I mean, and from a logical goal. standpoint, that that makes sense. Yeah, if that if that's your goal, if you want to lose lose weight, then yeah, intermittent fasting is going to work wonders. But you can't just intermittent fast and then eat three thousand calories in your eating window, right? It's gonna be it's gonna you know lose that goal. But our goal isn't to to lose weight with intermittent fasting, you know. So our goal is to kind of clean the body, give the bowel a rest. That's that's like our mission for it. But yeah, but, see, but people that do do that, that's for sure it could be placebo effect. Yeah. And that was just a car counter argument for intermittent fasting mm -hmm. in that stance. Yeah. Another one is an altered perception. So you're assigning an outlook based on the treatment that you're going to get. So let's just say you have pain, you just you describe the pain as sharp, and then you turn it into something less uncomfortable or less because you're taking the pill or whatever it is, right? Mm. So I feel like that happens with a lot, a lot of people when it comes to, I'm, I'm trying to give examples in the hospital, but there's so many times that, again, the mechanism of action could differ, but you give a pill and people already feel different, whether it's for sleep, whether it's for nausea. And it's interesting because I did have instances where maybe something wasn't given as prescribed and there's still an effect mm -hmm. on this person. Right. For all the behavior or all the perception, someone simple like just a, a change in pain scale like you give somebody something and their pain i mean the pain scale is good one to ten or zero to ten zero no pain at all ten being the worst pain you've felt in your life let's say someone has a pain of eight and it's sharp you know and then you give them you could say a placebo or something and now that pain goes from an eight to let's say a seven or a six and now it's like a stinging you know 
Is there is there really a big difference from a seven to eight? Not really. You know, the pain is probably still about, about the same, but the person perceives it as different because you gave them something. So they automatically think it's going to produce some kind of a response. Yeah, and an interesting standpoint from alter perception, it's like when you're hungry and you're driving, you know, wherever you go, you start realizing all these fast food chains mm -hmm. and all this. It's like because the chemicals that are in your body are saying, I'm hungry, and all of a sudden your instinct is just creating it. So now your perception is altered. You might have been seeing different things on a road and now your focus is somewhere else. Yeah, another marketing tactic they use is the color red. Like all majority of fast restaurants, they're usually red. McDonald's red, Burger King has red in it, Chick-fil-A has red in it, Popeyes has red in it. Red, red seems to be like the, the color that elicits like a, like a hunger and a, and a pull towards that food response, which is interesting to, to like look into. We should probably do an episode on, on what marketing colors, tactics. Yeah, marketing tactics and what companies use what colors to elicit what kind of emotion because, you know, we're visual beings. So whatever we see, it elicits some kind of response. Like, you know, already associated with red means stop. You know, if you see something dark, it's going to be scarier. Yellow is more like happier, things like that. So those, those are marketing tactics people use to elicit a response that they are that they are seeking. Yeah, I've even heard coaches, when their team is downstairs in the, what is it called, the locker room, mm. they have different colors based on to hype their own mm. athletes up to get, a, you know, get going and all that. Another potential explanation for the placebo effect is also a decrease in anxiety. A lot of ailments, a lot of issues, symptoms are exacerbated by, by anxiety. So you have a headache, you have a headache because you're stressed, and does the, does the headache go away because now you're less stressed and less anxious? Or was it because of this Tylenol? Or was it because of this, this pill? Is it your anxiety? A lot of times, research has shown that if you treat the patient's anxiety, their symptoms get a lot better. That goes with a lot of like eczema and stuff. A lot of people have eczema and like little skin issues. They get exacerbated by anxiety. So if you could alleviate that anxiety, that goes away. And also with headaches, especially with females. I know a lot of girls, when they get super stressed, super anxious, they get, they get like a migraine or they get a headache or they get jaw pain. And once that anxiety go, goes away, you know, it's, they're back to being normal. I've seen that a few times in a hospital, my coworkers where a girl would have a headache and I would, I would know she's super stressed because of that headache. And I would ask her, hey, what's going on with this? And she would answer, I'm like, yeah, that's why you get a headache. So let's try to calm down. And once you calm down, you know, the headache some, somehow went away. It's also wild how like anxiety is linked to asthma so much and it exacerbates that where the person feels and also even vents, they say, I can't breathe, but really they can't breathe because they start, their sympathetic nervous system is taken over and they're breathing shallow and they're not fully expanding their lungs. Or you have the patients in the ICU that their lungs are fine. They're ready to get weaned. They can tolerate this process. They can get extubated, but they have such bad anxiety mm. for whatever scenario they're painting in their mind that their freaking sats are dropping mm. because they're breathing faster. And they say, I can't breathe, I need more oxygen. And really, they're getting oxygen, you're looking at their saturation, it's like 97%, but it's really the, the state that they're feeling that's causing them to say, I can't breathe. Right, 100%. Yeah, I've experienced that a lot in a hospital. There's, there's been times where everything is fine. Chest x-ray looks nice. Once they, when, when they have the sedation, they're breathing well. They're doing their own breathing. Ventilator's not giving them too much support. But then once you turn that sedation off or a little bit of sedation off and a person is fully 100% woken up instead of that 85 or 90 and now he gets super anxious and he starts breathing quickly and you can't wean the guy, dude. And you can't wean it. And that's just him doing it to himself. She's like, hey, calm down, calm down. And you see him like freaking out, moving his eyes like around. It's like, hey, Steve, like relax. You know, we're all here. Just breathe, just breathe. And he's freaking out. So you got to put him back on sedation even though, Put him you down. Know, right. And even though, you know, his lung compliance is good. He's 
minimal, you know, vent support. X-ray look, looks looks good, but we just can't win him because he's holding himself back. And it's it's sucks sometimes, but it's it's something that we have to kind of work on as nurses and kind of alleviate without sedating him too much. Yeah, there were so many times that we had to trach a patient because of that. Yeah. And what's also cool is we work in the ICU, so there's always heart monitors and we always see the screens. It's also interesting to see how a patient's heart rate changes based on the news that you give them mm. or how do you make them feel. Or you can tell when somebody's anxious, you walk into the room and they're throwing some PVCs and they're tacky and you calm them down with no medication. You just talk them down and automatically their PVCs go down, their heart rate drops and they're more calm. Respiratory rate drops down. It's crazy how... Uh, physiologically you change and you can see it by second by second by just the thought process by changing a person's psychological state yeah the brain is is a very interesting thing yeah another potential explanation for the placebo effect is an altered brain state so this is interesting when i looked it up it's like the visualization so let's just say when you enter a room um you get like a leg pain or something you know so you visualize yourself entering that room without without the pain and this constant visualization, this constant prepping tends to alleviate it because sometimes pain and discomfort is associated with the fact that that's what you always think is going to happen. That's what's been happening, but just because it's been happening does not dictate what's gonna happen. So like we always say, your past doesn't dictate, or your yeah, your past does not dictate your future. So same with this, maybe that neuropathy pain isn't really there you just think it's there because you're doing certain things because let's just say picking up a book gave you neuropathy pain for the last, you know, um, let's say you picked up a book and that gave you neuropathy pain for two days out of the week for the last year. So you expect that, hey, I've been through Monday through Friday with no neuropathy pain, which means I'm going to have neuropathy pain Saturday and Sunday because two times out of the week I get this neuropathy pain. So you're thinking this and you're already programming your brain to expect this pain. And then your, your body gives you this, this, this pain, for example, or your brain. So try to, to visualize yourself without having that, without the expectations. Because a lot of times you expect these things on ourselves or this pain, especially with diseases, and we get them because we expect it or that's the norm. But you have to put yourself in a situation and in a body that does not go through life with these things. And that tends to show a better you know, response to medications and also non-medication which is very interesting yeah like you have to be tapped into the present moment and tell yourself that things can be different mm -hmm. right because if you keep predicting based on your past you're going to have the same outcomes in a sense right i think dr joe talks about that so much it's like if you want to change your future you have to change your current altered state mm -hmm. and if you keep relying on your predictable future based on the predictable past you're going to have the same events playing out in life. Mm. It's just like the poor man's mentality, right? It's like if you always think you don't have money abundantly, you're not going to have it. Instead, if you change yourself, I have a lot of money already, maybe you're going to have to play out different scenarios that could attract that. Mm. Not saying you need a money tree or anything. Another interesting thing is when it comes to the altered brain state is I was reading the, the book, The Habit of Breaking Yourself, and Dr. Joe had two patients one that was playing the piano and one person that was playing the piano but in their mind they were visually imagining playing the keys and when they studied and looked at their brain they had the same brain activity as if the person is playing the piano hmm. so it just shows you how powerful the mind is and how you could still learn things based on thought alone yeah um 
I think I was listening to a YouTube video when Dr. Joe was talking about that. But that experiment was, yeah, like you said, the person was actually playing the piano, learning the notes, compared to a person not touching a piano, but still rehearsing the, the key playing notes without actually touching the piano. And they were able to play just as well, which is crazy. You don't need the actual physical thing to get good at it. And, and that could be put into a lot of things, but piano is a good example because you could pretend there's a piano and you could pretend to press the keys and you can still transfer that over to an actual piano. You can still play it, which is, yeah. which is so amazing. If, if you look at the quantum field, it's like a lot of us are impatient because in the three-dimensional space, it takes longer to create the outcomes that we desire. But if you think about it in the fourth dimensional space, the quantum field, whatever that might be, things get created so much more. I don't know if it's quicker, more powerful. It's things we can't explain. So it's wild how we have to just imagine it in the fourth dimensional space and have that thought. And then slowly that thought is going to start creating our three-dimensional reality yeah. and create the new future. And that also goes well with, with breaking like your fears, you know, uh, people that let's say, say are scared to go in an elevator, you know, they visualize, visualize themselves going to elevator, making everything okay. They go through that process before physically actually stepping into an elevator. And that helps a lot of people because our friend Alex, she doesn't work with people with elevators, but I know she works on other fears of people and anxieties. And she usually has them imagine them walking through that process and imagine them in that positive situation compared to what they expected is a negative situation that they always put themselves in. Yeah, honestly, that's tough because I went on somebody on a date and they were scared. Or they hated butterflies. I'm just like, why would you hate butterflies? Butterflies are such a beautiful insect. It looks so, you know, nice. And later on, I kept hearing the story, and it turns out when she was younger, uh, she was on a field trip, and for some reason, she got lost and left alone. And they, I don't know why, but they turned off the lights in the, in the garden, and all these butterflies flew onto her, Damn. and she freaked the hell out. So now, that past, that trauma is so deep where she hates these insects and doesn't want to, like you said, expose yourself mm -hmm. to that fear. You have to... I don't know, start, I don't, you can't own a pet butterfly, but start. You can own a pet butterfly. I'm sure you can if you catch it, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's illegal. Um, but yeah, just to hang out with the butterfly, maybe feed it something, be closer and closer to it, let it fly in your hand. And yes, your body's going to freaking freak out and shake because that's the subconscious that was programmed from your trauma. But you have to be greater than you feel in order to conquer that fear. Exactly. Yeah, so next we'll look into some research that we that we found uh, regarding placebos. Uh, the first one looked at, looked over 84 different trials for 23 years. So this is a pretty long study, 84 um, trials over 23 years for treatment of nerve pain. And what's interesting why I looked at this one is because it looked at U.S. and Europe, but they had to take Europe out of the picture because Europe was not giving them any kind of placebo positive effects and and what they're attributing this to is because in the united states you could legally watch a drug commercial in europe they don't have drug commercials there is no pharmaceutical to consumer uh pathway you could say right because like when you put the tv on at like one o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning when you're giving your patient a bed bath or whatever you see infomercials about you know cialis or some other medications but you don't have that in europe because it's illegal so they, they're associated with a placebo effect in the United States to those commercials, which is very, very interesting. Programming. Yeah, which is crazy. But regardless of that, uh, they found that the placebo 
did have a positive effect on patient outcomes on the, the US trials for that one. That's a pretty long one. So 23 years of nerve pain because the hardest things for us to treat in like the hospital as like a medical community is is like psychology issues. So like depression, anxieties, and also like neuropathies and nerve issues because those are, I don't want to say they're self-inflicting. It's just, it's not as physical as it is treating like an open wound or like a broken bone or like a like a tooth pain. It's it's more of just literally taking the patient's perspective and subjective, trying to treat it. Yeah. Exactly. Very subjective, so it's very hard for us to treat it. We're good at treating better objective stuff because like for example, you have an infection, your WBCs are going to be elevated, right? But there's nothing for pain, right? It's measurable. You don't have anything for pain. Obviously, for an MI, you might have chest pain. You might say you have chest pain, but if you have an elevated D-dimer or elevated, you know, ST segment elevation, we know you're getting chest pain from the heart pain, right? It's not as subjective because there's there's an objective input there as well. A great example is like the phantom limb pain, right? Mm -hmm. That person experiencing pain on a limb that doesn't even exist on their body anymore. Mm -hmm. But we have to somehow still treat it and help with pain. Another uh, study that we looked at is major depression disorder and how the placebo plays a role. So they did a study on 35 participants. Half of them had an active placebo. Half of them had an inactive placebo. And this was, the active was a so-called fast-acting antidepressant uh, pill. After one week, the participants then switched to uh, another pill. They did a PET scan to check out the activations of the mu opioid receptor. And mu opioid receptors in charge of like the reward system, dopamine and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after two weeks, the participants were put on an actual SSRI. The results showed that the dep- depression symptoms after one week of the active placebo treatment compared to the inactive placebo were associated with an increased placebo-induced mu opioid neurotransmission in a network of the regions that were impliciting emotion, stress regulation, and pathophysiology of the major depression disorder. The placebo-induced opioid release in these regions were associated with better antidepressant treatment response, predicting 43% of the variance in symptoms improvements by end of the antidepressant trial. Yeah, so that's cool. That's good stuff. So this just shows you that the people that were not reliant on a pill somehow use their own pharmaceutical chemicals that our body naturally produces to cope with their major depression and actually had longer lasting effects and better symptom management versus the person that relied on an external pill to help with their major depression. Yeah, it's it's pretty breathtaking because like if I'm cause like I said like I said before, a lot of majority of the hardest things for us to treat is like psych issues and like neuropathies and nerve pains. So what this is basically showing is that if you give somebody like a pill before the standard treatment, it has shown to increase the effectiveness of the standard treatment, which is pretty um, mind-blowing because our success rate for like SSRIs and like those kind of medications isn't very high. I think it's like 50%. So if you could introduce like a, say a sugar pill before you give the SSRI and that'll boost it up up by 43%, that's that's not bad, you know, compared to the 50% standard standard treatment. Like you're given a what, like a half, a, you could say a half a percentage point increase. Yeah, and looking at the previous study they compared europeans and people from western society so it's wild how much our society here in america relies on a pill and an external source to solve their problem and their symptom whatever 
and more we're more susceptible to needing it. We always need some kind of external source to help with something, right? Versus them, they just learn to cope with it without anything. That's so mind blowing to me. I think it's because as humans, we need an explanation. It's very hard for us to conceptualize and visualize and explain something that we mentally or personally change within ourselves and by ourselves, right? It's easier for us to explain that, hey, I feel better because of this pill. It's a lot easier to, to, to visualize. It's why I feel like we always have, it's why as humans, we're always searching for like what's what's next because we can't explain it, right? Like we don't know what happens after death. That's why we always try to figure it out because you need the explanation. That's why it's so hard for us to grasp the fact that, hey, we could change ourselves by ourselves. We don't really need anything. But that's really hard to explain. Like if you say, hey, Matt, how did you, you know, how did you treat your depression? Oh, well, I just uh, decided to start thinking more positively and I started to think better. Oh, what do you mean you just started to think better and, 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 and how, how'd that work? Yeah. Well, I just changed my thoughts. It's like, how, what do you mean you change your thoughts? Like it's hard to explain to somebody you change your thoughts, right? But if you say, hey, I took this pill, okay, so which means if you took this pill and you made you think better and think positively, that also means that if I take this pill, I'm going to think positively and do positive things, right? Right. It's that need for that explanation because it's hard to explain mentally. Like it's hard for you to explain your own thoughts to yourself sometimes. Imagine explaining your own thoughts to somebody else. It's hard to do. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like how do you explain yourself to be more conscious and aware in order to change that habit? It's like some people don't know that they're talking themselves down throughout the day. They don't, they don't hear their inner voice and inner dialect or what's causing the problem. Or some people don't know that, hey, these are not my thoughts. These are literally thoughts from my childhood trauma that keep telling myself I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy of love. So then they're, they're figuring out why can't I always be in relationships or why am I scared to love? It's not that you're scared to love. You just have to learn to think greater than that feeling that you keep knowing because it's your familiar self from freaking seven years old. It's such a hard thing to mm. to compensate, you know? What if as a human species, there comes a time where we are able to unthink death? Where we don't fear it? Well, we, no, we just don't think death. Like, uh -huh. because like you reach a certain age, there's almost like death already programmed where I'm gonna live my life and I'm gonna die. Right. But what if... And like a human collectiveness, we never bring up death and never think about death. And then our next generations don't don't understand death and never heard of death. So they don't know what death is and what death means. I mean, you could unprogram so, a society so, like that. So imagine if, if you would never die. Imagine if, if just by knowing what death is and expecting death, that's what creates death. Would that be some shit? That would be some shit. Yeah. Huh? But then again... Our body does rot. Yeah, or it but, gets old. Well, what if it gets old? Because that's what we've been programmed to, to do this whole time. That, because um, we see animals getting old. So we expect that, hey, we're also an animal. We should, we're also going to get old. Or telling yourself, I'm 30. So now I know that I'm not at my peak. Right. And then you, you, you bring that up. And then you start creating that lower self. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm getting old. That's it. My testosterone's dropping. Right. Because we do it subconsciously. Like, we're 28. And sometimes, you know, you hear your knee crack. And you're like, oh, I'm getting old. Right? Yeah, but... You know, if you never said that, would your body and mind understand what getting old means? Think and you shall become, right? You know, that'd be crazy. But then I think about it. It's just like, what if that's like a trap too? Because what if life after death is so much better than what life we have? That's like kind of like my issue with like microchipping your brain so you can live forever on like a hard drive or like some kind of a disc. Uploading your consciousness. Right? Yeah. So that's like, what if that's like a trap? Because what if life after death is so beautiful, so magnificent, but you're so scared to enter it that you're just stuck in this, this, this earth. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why we have such a... We're going to talk about the nocebo effect, but we have so many problems in society. It's like they fear that one thing that's for certain, right? I don't know who quoted this, but there's two things that are certain in life. Change and death. Mm. You're always meant to change because that's how the world always expands and grows. And we see nature, we see seasons, and we know that... Uh, I forgot what Jesus said, but turn to dust or you were born out of dust and you shall turn into it however that goes so. but that's been said for thousands thousands of years yeah imagine if nobody ever said that and maybe there would have never been any kind of death or whatever you know because it's so much ingrained because there's been civilizations civilizations before us that we don't know how they became extinct what if they never became extinct or what in if the they bible just, they lived for hundreds of years right and what if they didn't become extinct what if they just realized that hey death isn't isn't the end goal and i could technically live forever and they're just off there exploring the universe or something, you know? Imagine if, if, if that's what some societies realized and it came to fruition and that's what they thought about. Because you never know. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll be good examples. What if we're sanitarians and still podcasting? You know that episode I did in 2021, <laughs> in September? Well, guys, it's it's true. I'm a sanitarian. I live, I'm 102. And yeah, don't think you could die early and you won't. Yeah, <laughs> we should look the same and shit. Yeah, right? that'd be uh, the third good imagination. Study, yeah. The third research study we looked into, um, it's actually a meta-analysis composed of 11 other studies that totaled 654 participants. And this is really interesting because this talked about and looked at OLPs, which are open-label placebos, which means the person taking it knows it has no active ingredients or active compounds. And we tell them that, hey, this is a placebo, but this is going to treat, to treat this. So this has actually like cleared up RA cancer-related fatigue, IBS, back pain, allergies, ADH, um, uh, depression, and hot flashes. But this is really interesting because the person knows that it has inactive ingredients. That's nothing. And yet they take it and it elicits some kind of response. That wow. I, I couldn't, I tried to like figure out how to explain this, but like, I don't know. Like, I'm, like you have a headache, I tell you, hey, this is a sugar pill. This is a sugar pill, but it might help your headache. And you're like, okay. And you take it and it has no headache leaving properties and yet your headache goes away. That's saying you took a sugar pill, but you were hyper that you weren't hypoglycemic though. Right. Because if you're hypoglycemic and you give you a sugar pill, that's actually a treatment. So you have non-diabetic, you, you, ate, you ate a meal and <laughs> that's shit. That's the only exclusion. Yeah. So that's that's like how do you explain that? Like people like I, I'm taking a something that I know has no properties that that'll treat what I'm experiencing, but yet somebody told me that that it treats it and I take it and yet this treatment worked. Yeah, these are all great examples that show how powerful we really are. We're just taught in society that we're not, and we always need some external thing. The only way I could, exp real quick, the only way I could explain this is if you gave me something for my headache, and you told me it's it's nothing, but it might work. In my head, I'm thinking, Matt's probably just fucking with me. It's probably something for my headache. It's probably legit. They just, <laughs> she's not telling me what it is. Oh yeah, that's well, the only explanation I, I could have came up with. You yeah. know. But it's wild, man. I don't think that's legal though to uh, sell or anything like that, right? No, you can't. It's just They're, for research. No, or? you could you could sell open label pharmaceuticals. It's it's you could you could buy them, or open label placebos. Like you could you could buy them, but they're they're nothing. I think it's like in Europe they they sell them somewhere open label placebos, but it's it's crazy, dude. Yeah. So like, I, do you, I don't know how it works, man. Like that's what I'm saying. The only reason I could think of is is I'm picking something and someone says, hey, this is not nothing active and I think they're fucking with me because they probably just can't disclose what's in there or something and I take it and it works. And maybe that's the way people are thinking. But either way, it worked. Yeah, either way, there's some phenomenon yeah. that's happening in our body that thought is producing on a chemical level that's changing our 
altered state of consciousness and ultimately it's changing our three-dimensional reality. It's crazy. Long story short. All right. So let's go into the nocebo effect, which is very similar to the placebo effect, but it has, unfortunately, unwanted complications. So you think something might cause actual harm, whether it's a treatment or whatever it is, and you almost thinking think it into existence mm. where it could cause harm or unwanted, uh, unwanted effects yes. on your body. So for example, Matt has depression, you know, and I say, and I give him a placebo, a sugar pill, and I say, hey, Matt, this is gonna, this might make you feel better, but also might give you pink, a pancreatic cancer, and you get pancreatic cancer. That's no nocebo effect. Or, hey, this medication is going to treat your depression, but the major side effect is vomiting, and you start vomiting. So that's nocebo. So the, it's even less riches than a placebo, because if you think about it, it's, a, it's kind of unethical to do. Like, why would you want to to elicit a harmful response, right? That goes against everything that that uh, the medical and nursing community has been built on. Do no harm, right? So it's really hard to to research, but the trials that they have done in the past has showed that this has some validity too, which is pretty messed up. I'm trying to give examples of how this, how we could use this example in the hospital setting. Well, you couldn't because it's I mean, yeah. You, you you would never use it. Like our our job in a hospital is to minimize the amount of side effects. That way, the patient doesn't get crazy anxious. You know, right. I mean, def definitely during surgery, they freak out when you explain everything and they think something might happen. I don't know. So let's, well, COVID's going on. So talk about COVID. Yep. So the news blasts you with all this COVID. Hey, if you get COVID, you're going to, this is, you're going to, your lungs are going to collapse. You're going to get filled with fluid and you're going to die. And people, they get COVID, a healthy individual, like our age, 28, 29 years old, 30s, whatever age and you're healthy, you start freaking out and you get anxious, you get anxiety, you get a panic attack. And now you throw yourself into AFib. So now you're associating COVID with AFib, but in theory, I'm not, I've looked into it. In theory, COVID shouldn't cause AFib, but now you're saying that COVID did cause AFib, but it really didn't. It's because you panicked and your anxiety caused that, that the AFib because you expected all these detrimental effects from COVID. So it's that almost could be happening with the vaccine too, right? That could, that could also be if you're, but then if you're super scared to take the vaccine, you're not going to take it anyways, right? But if you're super scared to take a vaccine and you're mandated to take it, you're going to possibly... Getting unwanted complications. Yes, exactly. Which is which is crazy, right? It's crazy to think about. It's almost like saying like I have COVID, and I know when I get COVID, I'm gonna get pneumonia or a wet lung. And you think about that so damn hard, your body somehow changes mechanisms, just like you change for the placebo to create that desired outcome because you're thinking about it so damn much. Yeah. And think about logically, let's say somebody gets COVID and expects this pneumonia, this wet lug. So now they're scared to go to the gym. They're scared to see their family members. All they're doing is sitting in their room, laying in their bed, no physical activity, laying flat on their bed, which is then promotes the growth of pneumonia because you're not moving around. You're not going anywhere. So your lung compliance is, is, is weaker because you're not expanding that, 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 that chest and your lung volume as much. And then you ultimately give yourself self pneumonia because you your whole regimen of exercise eating healthy uh moving around going outside that crumbled down and now you're just sitting in bed all day and especially if you're older if you're 50 60 years old and you're used to going to the gym going for exercise because you're 70 years old 80 years or whatever your age is on the higher side you stop working out you decrease that lung compliance you, your lungs aren't expanding as much 
yes, you're more prone to pneumonia. You want to decrease your chance of getting pneumonia? Well, work out, run around, make sure your lungs are expanding to their fullest potential because when you breathe out, you're exhaling all those nasty things that are in your lungs, right? Imagine if you, like the time where you haven't worked out in a, in a long time, right? So your lungs haven't expanded very well and you go on that run. You cough sometimes, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're hitting those, those lung bases where there has been a lot of movement and you're getting out all that shit. That's why you cough. Yeah, another example that I could think of is the person that says, I'm clumsy. So when they have the action that happens, they have that pessimistic view to say, I'm clumsy. I always do this. This always happens to me. And that negative emotion, just it's almost like a force field. And we're, we're talking about another dimension that's attracting the same thing that you are and are becoming through your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there's no scientific explanation for this. And this is still something that's early in its infancy stages of research if we can somehow measure these things from happening. But I think COVID is a perfect example where it's almost like the virus of the mind. Like yeah. people are so scared, so freaked out. And yes, it's bad, but to the state, to the point where they're like freaking out to the degree or wiping everything down and being like psychopaths about it, that's unhealthy. Mm. One example I think of is the people that drive with a mask on in their car. Yeah, dude. <laughs> dude, man, like Jesus Christ. The virus is just going to somehow be in that damn car. Yeah. All right. Let's not jump on that topic because yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're blocked by Spotify or YouTube. Um, any, let me see anything else we want to touch upon. But those people fact those crazy. Oh yeah. So we want I want to bring up on our show notes. If you guys check it out, uh, we leave we have something about Dr. Joe. If you guys don't understand the power of your mind or what it could do, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a, probably a beautiful example of what your mind could do. So he wrote many books, but his first book, one of the major ones, was titled "You Are the Placebo." And for you guys that don't know, um, a little bit of Dr. Joe uh, Dispenza's history is he. I forgot if it was a triathlon or just a biking, but uh, whatever it was, he was he was on a bicycle in like a race or whatever, and he got hit by a car, and he basically fractured a giant uh, a bunch of bunch of his his um his his spine, a big portion of his spine, and the only way to fix it was to go under major reconstructive surgery. I think he was paralyzed too. He was paralyzed for a little bit, yeah. So he had to go. On, he was not paralyzed. He was not paralyzed. He just couldn't move. Uh, because movement could have made him paralyzed, uh -huh. so he was he had to just lay there until everything kind of just uh, stable stabled out. So basically, he had four or five physicians come, um, and they all recommended surgery. But the thing with the surgery is it wasn't very promising. There was it was like a 50-50 shot for the most part. What he made it seem like, and he told him without the surgery, he's not going to be able to walk and all that. But if he does take the surgery, he's never going to be back to normal. Because he's going to have rods for X amount of months. He's never, ever going to regain his baseline flexibility or he's never going to be able to be, be, be himself. So he kind of pleaded uh, on what to do. And with the power of, of, of his mind and, and chiropractic work and st slight stretching and time, he was able to almost mentally and physically reconstruct his spine without, without surgery. And this was a surgery that was recommended for him by the top surgeons in, in the world which is pretty insane and he was able to meditate and like i said it, almost like with his his thought help his spine heal and reconstruct and after i think it was i want to say eight weeks he was, he was able to finally get out of bed so let me see so he stated for two hours twice a day i went within and began creating a picture of my intended result a total healed spine 
nine and a half weeks after the accident, I got up and walked back into my life fully recovered without having had a body cast or surgeries. I resumed my chiropractic practice 10 weeks out and was training and lifting weights again while continuing my rehabilitation regimen at 12 weeks. Now, in the near 30 years since the accident, I can honestly say that I rarely experience any back pain. Yeah, this, this is powerful and this shows you that what the power of intent is, where his intent was to heal his body and so it became. Yeah. And this kind of reminds me of Viktor Frankl's uh, book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he was a Holocaust survivor and he was talking about his experiences and he said that many of the, the prisoners didn't die because of like the lack of food and water. They died because of the, the lack of hope to live. So they, their bodies shut down because they lost that will. They lost the want to live and survive. And this, this is so powerful because you see cancer patients too where they hear this devastating news and there's some, there's some patients that have this epiphany and they start living because they realize it's so short and they let go of all this programming and all this crap that they had. And on the other spectrum, you have somebody that hears this news and just gets devastating and just their energy just goes down. Their they, tell them, they tell themselves that's it. And their body literally listens to what they're saying and they literally deteriorate with that mindset. Yeah, literally. It's crazy. Dude, don't underestimate the power of the mind. Like it's, it's, it's wild. Like people don't get to where they are in life. Let's just say Elon Musk or uh, Bezos or whoever, you know, is famous or whatever. They didn't get there because of some physical thing, right? They got there because of themselves and their, their thoughts and the way they did things. Nobody gave them what they have. They developed themselves. So that's just, it just shows you that your mind is basically your create, almost like the world is almost your creation. And, and you are, you are whatever your mind thinks you are. Yes. You're a powerful being. Don't ever forget that. Don't underestimate yourself and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Have a good day, guys. Peace. Thank you.